This week, South Africa's Supreme Court of Appeal ruled that the decision to release former President Jacob Zuma on early medical parole had been unlawful. Last year, the Pretoria High Court found that former prison's boss Arthur Fraser acted unlawfully by granting Zuma medical parole against the recommendations of the Medical Parole Advisory Board. On Monday, Fraser and Zuma's appeal against that decision was dismissed with costs. And in another court, the highest in the country, another ruling was delivered on Monday that has dominated the headlines. The Constitutional Court ruled that Janis Valush, who gunned down SACP leader Chris Harney almost 30 years ago, be released on parole within 10 days. This week on The Story, we're talking to News24 specialist legal journalist Karen Morn about what the SCA's ruling means for Zuma and whether he will actually be heading back to jail. And later, we're talking to News24's assistant editor for investigations, Peter Detoy, about the Valush case. Karen, thanks so much for your time. The case involving the former president can get quite confusing. Tell us about Monday's case. What did the ruling relate to and what does it mean for Zuma? Essentially what occurred was that less than two months into former President Jacob Zuma's sentence for contempt of the Constitutional Court after he defied its ruling that he appear before the state capture inquiry and ask answer non-incriminating questions, Two months into his sentence, he was granted medical parole by then Correctional Services National Commissioner Arthur Fraser. Legal challenges subsequently ensued, and on Monday, the Supreme Court of Appeal unanimously concurred with the Gauteng High Court in Pretoria that the granting of medical parole to Jacob Zuma was unlawful, primarily because Fraser had overridden the recommendation of the Medical Parole Advisory Board that within the ambit of correctional services legislation, Jacob Zuma did not qualify for release on medical parole. How soon could we see him return to prison and will he have to then reapply for parole? Essentially, that appears to be what this this judgment is saying. The the court overturned Judge Elias Matojane's ruling that the time spent by Jacob Zuma on medical parole not be considered in relation to the 15 months he received for contempt. But it has deferred that decision, the the kind of impact of that time on medical parole on his uh, 15-month sentence and any future application for for release to the new uh, National Commissioner of Correctional Services. So the ball is very much in, in the court of prison authorities, and they will then need to make a decision. Importantly, the court emphasizes that that decision needs to be empowered by the law. And Catherine, it is almost certain that we will see some form of legal challenge if the parties in this litigation are not not satisfied with the reasons given for any future release of Jacob Zuma. How much more of his sentence would he have to serve? Well, essentially, you would become, if he was serving uh, time in the normal course, he would have become eligible for parole after about a quarter of his sentence, which was just under four months. He served two months, most of which was in hospital, but that period in hospital would 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 in fact count. But if he was if the law was strictly applied here and the medical parole period was not taken into account, he would have to serve two months. However, the SCA is saying that it's essentially saying that it could be considered or overriding a ruling that it couldn't be considered means that Correctional Services has leeway to to make a decision 
to potentially release him. They will just have to embed that decision within the frameworks of the law and be able to justify it and ensure that it, it sustains legal scrutiny, which is the substance of what that judgment says. How likely is it that he could qualify for medical parole? What boxes must be ticked in terms of health issues? And how likely is it that Zuma would succeed if he applied again? Under the Correctional Services legislation, you can only qualify for release on medical parole if you have a terminal illness and are physically incapacitated to the point of being unable to take care of yourself. And, you know, the Medical Parole Advisory Board is made up of expert doctors who examine every single medical report, all the diagnostic tests that they require and in relate to the former president's health and came up with a determination that within the ambit of the legislation as it exists presently, he does not qualify. His lawyers and the correctional services uh, lawyers had thought to argue that in fact he was terminally ill, but certain certain of his public statements as, as early as a month ago in which he disputed that he was unwell, suggests that, you know, that that kind of statement about him being terminally ill is not necessarily substantiated by hard evidence and medical reports. And certainly the finding and recommendation of the parole advisory board, medical parole advisory board, would suggest that, that he is in fact not terminally ill and he is definitively not physically incapacitated. Karen, do you think it's likely that Zuma will now approach the Constitutional Court to try and avoid going back to jail? Jacob Zuma's previous litigation strategy has been to fight in every possible court that he can. I think that it is possible that he may seek a reconsideration application in the in the Supreme Court of Appeal. He has done that in the past. Um, he has shown a degree of reluctance in his corruption case to take his appeal to the Constitutional Court. His uh, antagonism towards the current Chief Justice Raymond Zondel is well documented. And Catherine, if he does make an appeal to the Constitutional Court, there are potential issues with the fact that this is essentially the same court that sent him to prison for contempt in the first place. A number of the judges who gave that uh, ruling, including Sissi Kampepe, are no longer at the court. But there are potential for complications in regards to whether quorum can be filled of judges who who were not necessarily involved in that uh, previous litigation, you know, with the potential that he may ask for judges who were involved in the previous litigation to recuse themselves. So it is a bit of a complex mess. And the coming days, you know, it's anyone's guess how, how this all plays out. Well, it's certainly something I'm sure you'll be watching closely and covering for News 24. Thank you so much for your time. That was Karen Morn, specialist legal journalist for News 24. We're now joined by News 24's assistant editor for investigations, Peter Detoy, to talk about another case that hit the headlines this week. Peter, this has been dragging on for years, the question of parole for Yanis Valush. Tell us about his case. In your column this week, you described him as the man who took South Africa to the brink. Catherine, yes. Look, it's uh, it's it's really one of those cases and stories that hark back to the pre-1994 era, which uh, which in this day and age is quite a thing. Janusz Walusz was the Polish immigrant who assassinated the SACP leader Chris Harney on Easter Sunday, uh, Easter Saturday rather, uh, in 1993. He was quickly apprehended by police put on trial uh, alongside Clive Darby Lewis, who was a 
Conservative Party MP in 1993, and they were charged with not only murder, but conspiracy to commit murder, found guilty, and then sentenced to death under the country's laws then. That sentence was later commuted to life imprisonment, and both uh, Darby Lewis and Valush went through the different processes and at the Department of Correctional Services, rehabilitation programs, psychological evaluation programs, to see whether or not they can be reintegrated into society. They obviously took part in various parole application processes. And a couple of years ago, Clive Darby Lewis was released on medical parole. He died of cancer shortly afterwards. But obviously, Janusz Walusz, as the, the trigger man, the person who actually pulled the trigger that killed Chris Harney, who was a very popular leader at the time, one of the most charismatic uh, leaders in the in the liberation movement at the time. It, uh, it really led to a lot of emotions around the murder back then. And with the release this week, the Constitutional Court ordered the Department of Correctional Services to release Valus within 10 days. Now, Catherine, that follows a, a, a long and convoluted process which really stretches back to, to tw- 2005 when Valus, for the first time, applied for parole. The sticky issue in this matter is that Valus, uh, according to the parole board, according to the experts at the Department of Correctional Services, including psychologists, did qualify for, for to be released on parole. Uh, but the decision to actually release him was always deferred and deferred to various ministers of justice uh, who refused to do that. And the Constitutional Court this week said no. He has complied with everything demanded of him in terms of the law, in terms of regulations, and that after 29 years in prison, he should be released. And that led to a, a veritable flood of emotions and, and very strong reaction from across the board. Peter, even in his judgment, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo said Valish had in fact been eligible for parole for 15 years already. But it is a, an incredibly emotional case. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about that. And, you know, Harney's wife has called the ruling diabolical. Can you tell us more about the Harney family's reaction? So the Harney family and also the South African Communist Party has been vehemently opposed to Valush being released on parole for for 15 years, like you said. They've always maintained that they want him to first reveal who put him up uh, to the murder and that they refuse to accept his, his apologies. Now, the parole system is a system which looks to reintegrate offenders into society based on a set system and a framework of uh, of laws and regulations. So it's not as if a parole board can grant parole based on emotion, sentiment, and and or anything else. It's a framework. It's a set process that needs to be followed, and he has qualified for it. Uh, the parole board, at various instances, have said that he has shown remorse that he uh, will not commit a crime like this again, that he understands the gravity of his crime, um, and that in terms of the law, he should be released. Now, the response from Dimpo Hani, uh, Chris Hani's wife, first of all, we need to say we cannot prescribe to people how they need to approach or manage their grief. You know, that is a very personal thing. And, 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 and given that her husband was, was murdered in cold blood on, a, on, a, on an Easter Saturday, given the role that he could have played in democratic South Africa, you can quite clearly understand the emotions for her around this. The danger, I think, comes in when the judiciary is being attacked, when the chief justice is attacked, when the legislature 
legislative framework within which this constitutional democracy functions is attacked. You know, so, so saying that the judgment is diabolical, I disagree with, and I think it's dangerous to, to attack the courts based on that. You know, if you read the judgment, it is based in law, it's based in fact, it's based in statute. It's a very courageous thing that the Chief Justice did to deliver a judgment like that, which he knew would evoke enormous emotion and would evoke memories from from a from a very difficult and bloody period of our history but i think we need to take emotion out of this even even as difficult as it might be south africa is a constitutional democracy you know we are a country of laws and rules and if we want to ma- maintain ourselves as a country where where we subject ourselves to the rule of law we need to try and remove emotion from something like this, even though it might be difficult. And look, you know, you can completely understand that people are still reviled by by violence, that there might be hatred towards violence, and that's completely understandable. But we are a country of laws, we're a constitutional democracy, and in terms of that, Valush qualified for parole, and what the court did was, was merely execute and interpret the law as it is supposed to do. Peter, what has the reaction to the parole of Varush been from political parties? Look, the SACP obviously uh, criti- heavily criticised the the judgment, and I think from a very emotional uh, point of departure, which which is problematic because if you if you re- respond emotionally to something like this, then you can't see the wood for the trees, and then you can't see what the what the legal framework is within within which something like this has happened. You can't understand the the, the, the legal judgment made by the court. So the SACP were obviously very critical. Uh, I have to say, I've not seen response from the ANC apart from the the premier of Gauteng, Panyaza Lesufi, who is a senior ANC member, who also attacked the courts, who was also critical of the courts. Lindewe Sisulu, of course, Zanad Lamini, Zuma, senior ANC people, supported Dimpo Hami and Ani in public. So I think it's it's problematic when members of the executive attack another branch of the state, in this case the judiciary. I think it's a slippery slope uh, if, if, if we start attacking the chief justice and attacking the system like Lindewe Sisulu and members of the RET faction certainly have done this year. Peter, will Varish be released under strict conditions? How do you think authorities will navigate this? I mean, in terms of his his life might well be at risk. That's a good question. Uh, I think the the case study that we can look at was uh, was the release a couple of years ago of of the commander of Flak Blast, Colonel Eugene de Kock, who was also sentenced to life imprisonment. He was held at Pretoria C Max Prison, but he also qualified for parole and was released. Now he was a he was the commander of Flak Blast, which was the police's uh, assassination unit. Uh, you know, so he was responsible for the deaths of many liberation fighters who infiltrated into the country and you know the things that they did at Flakplatz is is on record but he was released into the in, in into the public he was given support by the department of justice given the fact that he might become a target of of people who might be seeking revenge but incidentally he was he was a big target for for the white right uh, the fringe white right wing who also saw him as someone who sold out to the so-called new uh, new south africa so he was given support by government, by the Department of Justice, given uh, somewhere to stay and given an allowance to start building a new life. I, I imagine it might be the same way uh, with, with Valush. I mean, he has no family in the country. He was a, a Polish immigrant. 
and and I think there's a very real danger that his life might come under threat. So I'm pretty sure that he will be given the same type of support by the Department of Justice in as far as keeping him safe and just giving him a, a basic living allowance is concerned. Do you think it's possible? I mean, he was a Polish immigrant and his South African citizenship was stripped. I mean, they could potentially send him back to Poland, I guess. That's that's very possible. I mean, I think he might be one of those rare cases where you have stateless people, where he's lost his citizenship in Poland, where he's lost his South African citizenship. So um, he might be in that no man's land where he doesn't have a passport and he does he has no affiliation to any country. So it's it's going to be tricky to manage. I think it would reflect badly on South Africa and South African authorities if if he was to a be put in a, his life was to be put in danger. And I think you know for his sins, I, I'd I'd like to see him live out his days in the country to try and make a contribution to to improving society and 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 you know I wrote in my column that he was one of the persons who took the country to the brink of a bloody revolution because that's what they wanted to achieve between him and Clive Darby Lewis they wanted to throw a, ma- a match into the tinderbox in the very fraught environment that was April 1993 and they wanted a bloody racial war because what they wanted was for the white extremists the white right to be able to say look the country is going down the tubes this is why we need to secede we need a folk start or whatever they the, the case might have been but they wanted to see violence um, so so he has served his time in prison but I think uh, I think he's still got some reparations to make and I think I think he should live out his days in this country he should live out in communities in this country and start getting involved in community upliftment projects so that he can pay penance and try and and help uh, build a country that's still very much trying to come to terms with with modern democracy well we'll be keeping a close eye on that thank you so much for your time that was assistant editor for investigations for news 24 peter de toy that's all we have time for this week i'm Catherine rice and you've been listening to the story